here we are at Summer of Party, and when we think about Summer of Party, I want to put this into that place where it's about sharing your story. So today we're going to talk about story. Um, a couple of people asked me in the first service, hey, where are the notes that we can take? So as I'm doing uh, sermon prep this week on Monday, I, I'm reading some of the books that I really like that inform me of how to tell stories. And it says stories are so much better than presentations because you don't have to have bullet points and outlines for them. And I thought, it'd be really bad to make that my first point in the outline. So (laughs) we are not doing that this morning. Uh, If that's something that you need, I'm sure you'll find plenty of points along the way. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Stories are so important. Flannery O'Connor said, a story is a way to say something that can't be said otherwise. I think when we think about stories... Uh, we, we realize that they're really important. So, for instance, if something happens to you amazing this week, you might say to a friend, you'll never believe what's gonna ha- what happened to me. And, and then we start in our story. And we, we frame it that way because it is actually too hard to believe that you won the lottery and then lost it. it, it you know, so we have to say stories like that. Some of our most classic stories begin once upon a time because we want to imagine that it could happen to us and maybe it would happen another time. Uh, the Story of Us is a TV show that got over 15 nominations, and a lot of us are watching it, because it kind of shows how stories interweave, and the past reflects the future, and tells what the circumstances are, and it's like watching Lost again, but only intelligently. It's really cool that way. I love Lost, I don't mean anything by that. Um, some of us are really excited anytime Christopher Nolan makes a movie. That guy can tell a story, man. That's, like, if there's ever a story in my life that he would do, like, I don't know how that could be, but... If it could be true, I would want that, because Christopher Nolan tells great stories. Uh, One of my favorite books is The Power of Personal Storytelling by Jack McGuire. He dedicates the book to Tracy LeVette, quote, who blesses her family, friends, and neighbors with her stories and herself. Like, that's that's just really cool. Uh, Storytelling has become something of a topic lately. Uh, Forbes had an article just a couple months ago that talked about why leaders need to be great storytellers. If you read the Atlantic Journal, you, you'll maybe recall that they had an article that said the psychological comforts of sh- storytelling. We like stories. We like stories on Sunday, too. We're informed by a story. It's God's story and how he talks to us and how he motivates us and he, he causes circumstances to happen to us. We really like the story. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, was written by Moses. Have you ever thought about that? Moses was writing about Adam and Eve and the creation of the earth. Moses was writing about Noah and the great floods. How does he know these things? God told him. God told him the story. He wrote it down for us. We need to be telling stories. Today, we're going to unpack what that story kind of looks like. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that we can depend on you. Thank you for sharing uh, your story with us. Thank you that we get to be involved with your story. I pray that as, um, as I'm speaking today, that it will be your words that are heard, not mine. That it will be your story that comes through, not mine. We thank you that you take care of all these things and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. You should know that I am up here not because George and Sarah have had a baby. They are on vacation. I'm sorry to let you down. I'm sure there's a lot of pools that lost money because of that. Uh, Pastor George, our lead pastor, uh, and Sarah and Novella are taking a little respite uh, in Idaho, and he will be back next week, unless something happens. But, I mean, God willing. Uh, She's due the 26th. That's the target date, but that's what's going on here. 
When we think of our stories, a lot of times we kind of think of our stories as random events that happen in our life. But today I want to suggest to you that it's much more than a random event. God has orchestrated it. Paul, when he is speaking to the Athens, he, he walks around town. And he says, I see you're a very religious people. And I see all these statues of gods. And you even have this one God called to an unknown God. Today I'm going to tell you who that God is. And he tells them who that God is. And then he explains God. And he says this in Acts uh, 17, 26 through 27. From one man, he, that is God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Hmm. Let me put this into 21st vernacular. God has placed you where and when he wants to. The neighbors that you have are the neighbors he wants you to have. The people surrounding you, the family that you have, is the family that he wanted you to have. The people that you work with, the people that you're bumping into at the grocery store, those are the people that he wanted you to work with and bump into at the grocery store. The, he arranges those kind of things. You might think, oh my goodness, not my neighbor. <laughs> Please, Lord, no. Yep. It's exactly who he wanted there. You're the perfect person for that. Don't buy into the myth that great neighbors make great, uh, great fences make great neighbors. It's not true. We, we as Christians should never do that. Jesus came and said he, uh, in John 1.14, it says he moved into the neighborhood. Other versions say he became flesh among us. He wanted to show us these things. He showed us. Now, when Leanne and I moved to San Francisco, I had ideas of what that would look like. Maybe you can imagine moving to San Francisco. It was hard for me to imagine it. I grew up in Montana, so to go to San Francisco was a jump, to say the least. And I had an imagination of what I thought that would be. Uh, I was asked to be a part of a neighborhood board, uh, park board, and so I, I was being vetted by one of my neighbors. Uh, an older gentleman that was kind of going to vet me to see if I was kooky or not, and should I be on the board. By an older gentleman, I mean someone my age. That's all I mean. I mean, honestly, he, he was a peer. And so we got to know each other through this vetting process. He wanted to know what I thought of this or what I thought of that. And that led to us starting to have conversations about other things. He was like, we should go for a walk. I'd like to hear your theory of why bad things happen to good people. We disagreed about everything. I thought, what, what do you mean bad things happen to good people? I think good things happen to bad people. And we would just disagree about everything. Uh, it was just one of those. And it wasn't adversarial. It was just like anything that we brought up, we would just have the opposite opinion on. But we enjoyed walking together, getting to know each other. And through that disagreement, um, we began a relationship. So much so that when uh, he got called into the doctors one time, they said, we found a growth behind your eye that we think is cancerous. His words were, I burst into tears, and I knew the only person I could call was you. I was so honored to be a call for that. I remember when Mark did that, and he said, now, is there any way that we can pray about that, that you could pray as a church for my eye? To this day, Mark would say that, the surgery went well, everything went well because he prayed, because we as a church prayed for him. It was, it was incredible. It was a true miracle. One time I was getting ready to go on vacation, and he came up to me and said, hey, I need some time before you go, and I don't know if you're like me. When you got vacation on your brain, you're like, I'm a horse to a barn, man. Like, it's time to go. 
He stopped me enough to tell me about a relationship that he had with his son from his first wife. And just some relational things. And so we talked through those things. And I gave him some advice. Great pastoral advice. Wisdom from the ages. And um, then I took off on vacation. When I came back, I was parking on this, uh, in front of our house. And he knocks on my window of the car. He's so excited. The advice worked. Oh, that's great. But he was very excited. He felt like you have helped me. You've helped me think through things. I really enjoy the relationship we have. On a side note, I didn't tell first service this. I didn't tell them because you guys are actually my favorites. <laughs> Don't worry, I told them the same thing the first service. Um, so, uh, but I didn't tell them this story. Uh, I decided, this was back before the Warriors were the Warriors, that I was going to be a season ticket holder for the Warriors. Uh, there was a couple, there's another guy, and we decided, let's ask people so that we can have a, a bunch of us Five of us buy the season tickets, because who can afford season tickets? So the five of us did, and I was going to ask my friend Mark. And so he said yes, and it was at our first game together, because uh, we bought two tickets and, um, for the season. And I said, uh, hey, I got a confession to you, Mark. I don't like the NBA, and if I did, I'd probably like the Utah Jazz more than any other team. I just did this because I wanted to get to know you better. And he looked at me and said, that's really funny. I don't like the NBA. I don't... <laughs> I don't particularly like the Warriors. I just did this. Like, that's an expensive way to talk to your neighbor, man. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Now, looking over it, we, did, we renewed and we renewed, and we saw magic happen. And I am a devout Warriors fan, as, as he is. And um, I hope someday that you get to meet my friend Mark when he comes up to see the Trailblazers. But Mark and I started this relationship. We hung out more. His wife noticed that we were having a great relationship, and she bought him a present that she thought he and I might use together. She had gone to the thrift store and bought a King James hardback Gideon Bible and said, I think that you guys should talk about this. And he's like, can you help me? I was like, first thing, <laughs> let's get rid of the King James. I, like, I, I mean, it's really cool, all that, but begot, begath, I'm just not. And he's like, there are other versions? I'm like, yeah, there's a bunch. And so we began what was called the secret menu Bible study. Um, as we were talking, I invited him into conversations I would have in public to talk about faith. When he would talk about faith, he meant faith in humanity, faith in uh, making sure that the, the system works, and, and just all the definitions of faith that maybe you and I would say, oh, please, don't, don't ever say that again in public. But he could articulate those. It was a couple months later when I had him speaking in front of a bunch of pastors in San Francisco, and I, I said, just tell them what you think it means to be uh, being Jesus in the neighborhood. That, he understood that concept. And as he's talking about it, he starts talking about faith. And as he's talking about faith, he talks about this Gideon Bible. As he talks about the Gideon Bible, it leads to him talking about a secret menu Bible study. As he talks about that, he says, and so I've discovered that I have faith in Jesus Christ. In front of pastors, to their amazement, my neighbor found Christ by his own testimony. God places us when and where he wants to. He wants to do that with your friends. He wants to do that with your neighbors. He wants to do those, those things working right around you. He's placed you in Puyallup, in Bonnie Lake, in wherever, and he's made it, this is the time and place for you. He knew that. And he's really excited that you're helping him with that. So I think that it's, it's safe to say that God orchestrates the stories that we tell. He, he understands that scene but stories can't just end there. They have to be told. Stories that aren't told are like 
I don't know, bad jokes, dad jokes, maybe? I don't know. They're like, they just don't work. Stories are meant to be told. Um, I'm claiming, uh, Pastor George is the lead pastor here. I get that. I submit to him, as we all do. But I have never heard him say what the greatest chapter in the Bible is. So from here on, you will now know, because he lost that opportunity. It is Acts chapter 10, the best chapter in the Bible, the most exciting chapter Remember that. If he sometimes comes up here and says, hey, I think Luke 3 is... No. Acts 10. You heard it today. So in Acts 10, we have this story. There's a guy named Cornelius. He's said to be a God-fearing man, but he's Greek. And so that's really confusing because this doesn't make sense. Jesus uh, said that he'd come from the house of Israel. This was, uh, they were looking for the Messiah. He was really for that. But this God-fearing Greek has a vision of an angel who says, I need you to get a hold of Peter. Peter is going to be found in a guy's house named Simon. Simon is a tanner, and he lives down by the sea. You need to go get him and bring him back to your house. That's what the angel said to him. Can you imagine? How many have seen an angel? Wow, that's why you're not telling your friends about him, apparently. So anyway, so Cornelius sees this angel thing, right? He, he can't believe it. And this is where our story end, uh, begins. In Acts 10, verses 7 and 8, it says, As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. It doesn't do any good to have an experience like seeing an angel and then not telling people about it. He acts on that. And he tells his guys, go get this guy. Go find him. Now, the cool thing about this story is, at the same time, Peter's upstairs uh, sleeping, and he has this dream, and there's a sheet full of goods, uh, goodies, meat goodies, that he's not supposed to eat. There's like bacon. There's pork ribs. There's probably some leavened bread. You know, there's some really good stuff out there. And it's, it, the words come down, come and eat this. And he's like, oh, no, Lord, I'd never do that. Who says no to ribs? Like, this is crazy. He does it. He learns through that experience that God says, what I have called clean, you should not call unclean. Now, I want you to go downstairs, and there's going to be some people uh, that come for you. Go with them. Next thing that happens... Some of us wonder, why doesn't God speak to us? How do we know what he wants for us? How do we know what his will is? What should we be doing? What should, who should we be talking about? You know how you know? You answer the door. God is knocking on your door right now saying, I, I placed you in and where I want to. Can you help me out a little bit? Can you help a brother out? One of the sayings that I really liked, especially when I lived in San Francisco for a long time, Bono has said, was said, uh, if Jesus was in the flesh today, he would be at a gay bar in San Francisco. That's because he didn't know about Puyallup. So I'm going to suggest that if Bono knew what I know now, he would say, if Jesus was in the flesh today, he would be at the Waterpalooza on the 11th. I, that's where Jesus would be. Why? Because you're going to be like Jesus. Slip and slide is like walking on water. Like, you get to enjoy some of the benefits of being Jesus without the responsibility. Like, that's pretty good. In this story, uh, Peter, when he hears the door, knows who it is. He knows this is what the vision's been about. This is where our second part of chapter 10 comes in. I'm going to start reading in 27. And so they talked together and went inside where there many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it's against the law for a Jewish man to enter a, a Gentile home like this or to be associated with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you have sent for me. 
Here's the thing. Stories are meant to be told. Cornelius had his story. He had an encounter with a divine angel. Peter had his story. He was told that it was okay to eat anything and he shouldn't think of anybody as impure. The important part is for them to tell each other the story so they can hear God's story. You have a story to tell. Your friends and neighbors and coworkers have a story to tell. Tell each other. You will hear the story of God. A lot of times we think we just have to tell our story. A lot of times we think we just have to, listen, listen, listen. You have to tell each other each other's story. That's where you're going to discover God is working. Uh, in Luke 8, there's another story. It was one of my favorite stories as a kid. Uh, Jesus has gone to a place and there's a demon-possessed man, which when I was a kid was pretty cool because I like creepy stories like that. Um, but other than that, the cool part for a kid was these demons were cast out and they were cast into a bunch of pigs who go over a cliff and die in the water. Like, if you don't like that story, I, I don't know. You have no imagination. Yeah, who likes that story? No, let's try it again. If you don't like that story, you have no imagination. Who likes that story? We're getting only a little bit better. I always thought we should do Saturday night church, not Sunday morning. Anyway, so the amazing part of this story is this. These people who have put up with this demon-possessed guy, who have seen the pigs run into the ocean, their response to Jesus from that is, leave town. Get out of here. We don't want you. That freaks us out. You're too powerful of a person. Some of us might be asking God to do some amazing thing through our lives. Are you ready for it? Are you really ready for it? These people probably thought they were ready for it. But when it came down to it, they're like, leave us. Get away from me. We don't like that. It's too supernatural. We want to see things that we can explain better. This man who was demon-possessed and now is not says, Jesus, I want to go. Let's look at uh, Luke 8. In 38 and 39, it says this, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all the town how much Jesus had done for him. Well, that's a bummer. Wouldn't you want to hang out with Jesus after he did that for you? And yet Jesus' response was, Go home. Tell people what I've done for you. That's a sobering thing when we think about if he would say that to us, go home, tell people what I've done for you. Some of us don't want to go home. We, we want to avoid the people from our home, our hometown, the people that we grew up with, because maybe we did things we regret, or maybe you're like me, you don't like the person that you used to be, and so you're like, why would I want to be there again? They would just put me back in those places. Jesus asked this man to go home and tell everything he's done good for him. Jesus may be asking you to go home and tell people that you grew up with that you're awkward around her. People maybe that you just feel like I don't want to tell the story to. He might be asking you that. Let's get some practicality to this. How, how do you tell your story? So one of the ways that you can tell your story, this is the best way. Uh, pastor George, the lead pastor here, watch him. That, that guy talks about Jesus in ways that are amazing. He, he is telling people and leading people down a path that shows that he has an evangelist heart and he's a good man. If you can't do that, here's some other tips that I've learned. Uh, smile. Use people's name. Use their name so you can remember it. Use their name because everyone likes hearing their name. They don't like it when it's said wrong. They, you don't have to come up with a nickname for them. Just tell them, call them their name. 
Uh, a lot of times when we're with, you're at a party and you want to have conversation, you, you might think this thought, why am I always stuck with the people that are talking small talk? I want to talk the deep stuff of life, like the stuff that moves mountains. Let's talk about stoicism. Let's talk about post-modernity and it's, is it really hyper-modernity or is it post-modernity? Like, let's have those conversations. Let's talk about game theory, like German board games versus Ameritrash. Like, okay, that's just me, never mind. But I'm just saying, like, that, that could be an example of things that you long for that conversation. But small talk actually leads to deep talk if you let it. A great small talk conversation this weekend looks like next week is, dang, is it hot out here or what? Like, someone tried to tell me that it's never like this. Just like you told me last winter, it never stopped raining. Whatever. Like, this is the story of... But when you're talking weather, that can be, so what do you do to beat the heat? What are the things that you'd like to do? And then you get to hear what people like to do. And you, sometimes you hear things like, oh, we like going hiking, or we like... And you find this adventure, and you can hear what people's doing. But it begins with talking small talk. Allowing your small talk to go deeper is an important way to tell your story. Finding common ground. What do we have in common is a great way. Uh, give sincere compliments. The key word there is sincere. Like, we all give compliments. We're a very complimentary society. Um, we're cutting, too, but we also know how to compliment to make people feel good. There was a girl in the youth group that I used to be uh, leading that had this natural, curly, beautiful blonde hair that everyone envied. I envy it a little bit more these days than now, but anyway, people envied it. My friend David was going up to her, and he was trying to give her a compliment. And he said, you have the most amazing... And before he could say the word hair, she said, stop! Do not talk to me about my hair. I have no control over it. It's natural. I did nothing for it, to it, with it. I'm tired of that. Complimenting her hair was not a sincere compliment in her world. Make sure as you're giving compliments that people think they're compliments and that they're sincere compliments. You can always follow up with something that came up before, maybe in a conversation that you had earlier in the night, or maybe something that you remember from last week. Hey, you said you were going to go on that hike. Hey, you said you were going to that concert. Oh, I think that you recall that. And remembering things that they've, you've talked about. Now, one of the things that I think is big, and I speak to two groups of people here. I'm speaking to you millennials, specifically, and to you fathers, specifically. Show some vulnerability, for goodness sake. Uh, when I look at Facebook, I am tired of seeing how great your life is and all the parties you're going to. I can't compete with that. I, I really like Joe. One of the things he said a couple weeks ago when I was like, I know how to party. He's like, I know for a fact you don't party, Gordon. That's good humor, man. That's how I think of my life. And I don't need to see everybody's parties going on at Facebook. When I look at Facebook, I think, these are not vulnerable things. Oh, the worst thing in your life is you met that person and you've got to hang out with those pretty people and make a video like that? Fathers are the same way. Like, do you have, as a father, can we be honest and say, life is hard? Can we be honest enough to tell our kids that life is hard? And I don't know the answer, but I'll try to find it. There's a lot of hard things. Showing vulnerability when we're communicating, goes a long way. Thanking people for anything that you can find to be thankful. Don't be stupid where you're being thanks, but there's always something that you can be thankful for. 
Malcolm Gladwell is an author that a lot of us read when he wrote The Tipping Point, and he says there's three types of people. I'm going to suggest as you share your story, you might take that language that Malcolm Gladwell gave us. He talks about mavens. Mavens are the people that know stuff to tell us about stuff. They're the ones that, they're like a walking consumer report. They can tell you the best of this and the best of that. There is a fine line between being a maven and a know-it-all. Don't be the know-it-all. Err to the side of maven. But you have information in your head. You know where the best hikes are. You know where the best places uh, for a romantic meal are. Share those with your friends. Don't just keep them to yourself. He talks about connectors. Maybe you could be a connector. Connectors are those people that just know how to join people together. So-and-so, have you met so Brian, have you met Tom? Tom, have you met Rod? Rod, have you met Lauren? And you just connect people. You know, Andrew did this. The disciple Andrew. Andrew found Jesus right away. And he says... I've got to introduce my brother to him. And he introduces, introduces Peter to Jesus. Peter went a lot farther than Andrew did in Jesus' world. The church was built on Peter. Andrew introduced them. Maybe you could be a connector. The last one that uh, uh, Gladwell talks about is a salesman. I don't really like the, the word salesman, especially when it comes to the gospel. That just reminds me of slick back oil. I don't know. It's just a bad image. I, I don't care for that. But I do think that a salesman could be like an evangelist who knows how to tell the truth and how, knows how to convince you that it is true. We need those people. We need those people. To know those things, you have to know your story. Do you know your story? Richard Stone said, Story has the power to invite us into the growing circles around community campfires. Right? Some of us have neighbors. I have a neighbor that always is doing a bonfire. I like when I go over there. We tell stories. Sometimes they're nonsensical. But you learn things about people, don't you? Through the stories they tell. I want to suggest to you that there are three examples in Scripture of people that we can learn from of knowing their story. For those of you that are my age and older, my next three points will be called Peter, Paul, and Mary. For the rest of you that don't know that, it's still Peter, Paul, and Mary. Peter has this example where uh, it says in Acts 10.34, Acts 10. Anybody heard of that chapter? <laughs> the best chapter in the entire Bible. Really, people, when Pastor George gets back next week, he needs to know. Chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 says this. And Peter, having opened his mouth, said. That's how he, it, it talks about it. Peter, having opened his mouth, said. I think a great way of knowing your story is being like Peter and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you. The Holy Spirit is one of the uh, parts of the Trinity that we believe in, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say that he empowers us, he encourages us, he teaches us all things. And what we see in this passage is Peter opening his mouth and letting the Holy Spirit do the work. Being a pastor is kind of like this. When you preach, this is the highest compliment that people can give, and they don't even know they're giving it. They'll say, oh, Gordon, I liked when you said ABC. And here's the thing. I never said ABC. I know that God told them that through the words I was using. That is like a home run. I'd rather you remember God's words every day of the week than any cute, quippy thing that I said. Peter allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through his story. Paul says in Philippians 4.9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, go do it and teach others. He understood that his story was for other people. Whatever life you're living, you can tell other people what you're living. 
Have you gone through cancer? You should be talking to people with cancer. Have you lost a, a loved one earlier than you should? You should talk to other people about losing another person earlier than you should. The story is told by uh, Rick Warren that uh, this woman filled out a Connect card, their version of Connect card. If you have a, you should use these things. These are great. I know that we're trying to get better at following up on these, but I really enjoy praying for people and use them. So this Connect story, she writes on there that she's struggling in her life. She has a Down syndrome child, and life is pretty overwhelming. And she wanted prayer. Uh, Rick, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, filled out a postcard and said, you know, Dear sister, sorry to hear this. Uh, with your child with Downs, I'm praying for you. Here's a verse to comfort you. Sincerely, Pastor Rick. And puts it off in the mail. The next week when he sees her, she has not reacted in the way that he thought she might. I mean, you know, get a postcard for the pastor. So he, he doesn't think about it too much until he learns the whole story. It was the following week uh, that he learned that the post office didn't deliver the postcard to the right address. Imagine that, a government agency doing something wrong. Anyway, they, they delivered it to another person's house. But on the following week, that person having read the postcard, delivered it to the person that needed it and said, hey, your pastor wanted to send this to you and it came to my house by mistake and I'm, I'm giving it to you. I also have a child with Down syndrome and I can help you with these things. That's how God works. He places this when and where he wants so that people respond to them. Like that, that's normative that's a normal situation in God's world. He says, like, of course, that's how you do it. We get to be part of that story. We need to be teaching others the stories that God has taught us. The last one, Mary. You'll recall she had some pretty miraculous stuff happen to her when she was a young virgin woman. And, and she has this baby, and then there's these shepherds, and there's wise men. And there's years apart, i put them in the same story. And all these things are going on. And it says in Luke 2.19, it says, uh, But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. God is teaching you stories. Are you pondering in your heart what they might mean? Are you taking the time to meditate through the stories that you think God is teaching you or what he would have you learn? They're there for you. So what are the next steps? The next steps are easy. There are pivotal moments in people's lives where we need to be sharing our stories. I, think, I would suggest there are two types of people. There are people in tension, and there's people in transition. The people in transition um, could be if they're experiencing it. Whenever people experience a major change, whether it's work, life, employment, anything that you can imagine, they are, tend to be more spiritually hunger, hungry. And that's because Alfred Topher says that we all are looking for islands of stability. Those are his words. Islands of stability. Are you an island of stability for somebody? You are for your coworkers. You are for your friends. You are for your family. You are for your neighbors. Become islands of stability. People in transition need islands of stability. You can be that. People in tension. Here's some of the examples that came to mind. Uh, close friends and relatives, people going through a divorce, children of divorce, those who feel their need for recovery, those that are living with people in recovery, first-time parents, second-time parents, third-time parents, fourth-time parents. There's a pattern there. Um, terminal illness of someone or the, oneself, couples in marriage crisis, uh, recently unemployed, major financial problems, new residents. These are great times to tell people your story. 
Now, here's the thing. When you're telling a story, you don't have to be dogmatic about it, especially with people like, that are in these kind of transitions and tensions. How many people know fruit trees? When you take a fruit that's ripe, it just plucks off so easy. Don't be yanking this down. Just take it. Help them. Be a friend for the sake of being a friend. Decide to help them. There's this thing called prevenient grace. And it, it basically comes from the Latin means to come before. And it's this idea that God is working in situations before you even get there. Before you moved into your neighborhood, God was already in your neighborhood. Before you became the neighbor of someone, God was already their neighbor. Before you got that job, God was already working in that job. Wherever you find yourself, God is already working. And it's our responsibility to catch up with him. Acts 16, 14 talks about a woman named Lydia. And it says this, As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Your friends, your neighbors, want to listen to you. The Lord has already opened their heart. And maybe they'll accept what you're saying if you say it. I'm going to give you, the, the last thing I'm going to give you is a couple questions that you could be asking. So you have a relationship, uh, you've visited with your friends, you're talking, maybe you have a friend like Mark, you're just going about things, and there's some questions that can kind of help you at, at the end of your conversation. For instance, uh, is there something going on in your life that I can pray for? That's a great question. They could say, no, I, I actually don't believe prayer works. Your answer is easy. Well, I do. What could I pray about? It's not that hard. It's not threatening. Where are you in your faith journey? That little thing that's on the back of the Connect card. Using that, or we have other resources that kind of just, where do you think you are? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Who is Jesus to you? I think he's just this historical dude that lived a long time ago. Actually, I don't think he's a guy. I think he's the myth that we've kind of built up in our heads. That's good to know where they are. Take where they're going. What's the afterlife look to you? Well, I think the afterlife is uh, you die and then worms eat you. Honestly, if I'm your friend and you tell me that, if I'm a good friend, I say, well, I'm sorry you believe that's true. That's really sad. We can talk like this. Now, these questions, and this was pointed out to me between services, is there something going on in your life that I can pray for? Where are you in your faith journey? Who is Jesus to you? What's the afterlife look to you? Those can't be your first questions. (laughs) Those will be your last questions if they're your first. But they should be part of your relationship. People, we should be talking like that to people. I want to leave you with this thought. So uh, there used to be a show called Politically Incorrect with Bill Maurer. I know he still does it. It was different. It's the same, the whole thing. So you know how the show works. He's going to tell you about something that he thinks is wacky, and then he has these stupid people that disagree with him that he always seems smarter than. And so it was one of those things. And they were debating whether the nativity scene should be displayed in public. The nativity scene, the little story of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the baby Jesus, which is like a story. And he's saying, should this story be displayed publicly? And his answer was basically, no. Now, the person that was supporting that it should be done was Terry Bradshaw. I don't know if I want to be represented by Terry Bradshaw. i I got to be honest. Like, I'm sure he was a great quarterback. I mean, I saw him play, but Lynn Swan carried the team. But, like, Terry Bradshaw is like a 15-watt bulb, honestly. Like, I don't think of it. He's probably smarter than me. I'm not saying anything like that. But he said something 
that was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard, and I quote to this day, hence this is the last part of my sermon. When talking about the nativity scene, he, he said, we have to show it, because, quote, it's his birthday for Christ's sake. <laughs> now, I don't know if he knew what he was saying, but that line is golden. And this is why I bring it up to you today. When you're thinking about sharing your story, you're like, I don't know if I should. It's his story for Christ's sake. Let's tell our stories. God is using us, placing us when and where he wants. Our stories need to be told. Let's use these parties as places that we can tell our story. Let's use our workplaces as stories we can tell our story. Let's use our neighbors as people that we can talk to. Story is so powerful. Thanks for letting me have your time. God, I'm so thankful that our story folds into what you're already doing. Thank you for being a God that lets our story be your story. Thank you for sharing your story with us and being so gracious to let others think it's us. Thank you for letting us be placed when and where you want us. Give us the courage to act on those things. In Jesus' name, amen.